thank you guys for uh, inviting me and having me here to preach at the chapel. Uh, yeah, I, it's, it's a great privilege for me to be here, so thank you so much. Um, by the way, my name is Juno, or Juno Yu. I'm a university, I'm a pastor for a university um, ministry called So, Student Outreach to the World. And I'm really happy to be invited here today. Uh, I've known Steve since, I think we were both in year five. We both uh, were in tuition for selective school. Our parents put us in to make sure we got into selective school and all that stuff. And, I was, and I was, as I was writing this, I was trying to figure out how long ago that was. And I got a bit sad when I figured it out. I think it was like 25 years ago now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we met, we, met at, uh, we met in tuition, and uh, we both got into selective schools, uh, albeit different ones. He went to North Sydney Boys, and I went to the far superior Sydney Boys. Um, and so we didn't get to see each other much in high school, uh, but we kind of saw each other again in university because we both went to UNSW. But what was really cool, I was really encouraged to hear about him going into ministry. Uh, yeah, that was really awesome. And then later in the, in the 2000s, we got to work together on a couple of ministry projects, uh, which was really cool, and that's where I got to meet a fair few people from, or the few people I know from this church. And so when Steve asked me to speak, I was asking him, like, well, what do you want me to speak, speak on? Like, what passage do you want me to speak on? And he said something vague about, oh, we're speaking about daily devotions and journeying with Jesus. And so I don't, didn't really know what I should be talking about. But in the end, I chose this passage because it's my hope and prayer that it's relevant to you, but helpful to you as well. And it's about the shape and nature of our journey with Jesus. And so if you can open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 4. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 4. Uh, I think it'll be up here. I'll be reading from the ESV, uh, but if your version is different, don't freak out. Just kind of follow as best you can or uh, read with me on uh, the, the screen. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured before from sin and such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Uh, before I begin, let's, let's uh, bow our heads in prayer. Our Father God, we, th we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity, this time that we have each week to get together and to worship you. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for the message of the gospel which calls us from wherever we are towards you. We pray, Father, as we come to your word today, uh, Lord, that I may speak your truth uh, with love and conviction. That, Father, that your spirit would speak through, to, through me today so that your name may be proclaimed and that you 
would be honored and made great. Father, we pray that you would speak into each one of our lives and change us and transform us to become more like Christ. So that not only on Sunday, but on every day, in our lives, you may be glorified and worshipped. And so, Father, we thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't think many of you really know me or know very much about me, but I'll tell you something. I'm a bit of a comic geek. And so, right now, I'm really happy with this current age of comic book movies and Star Wars movies, though I didn't really like the last one. But I really like this time when there's so many movies coming out. But one character I was really happy about getting some spotlight was Captain America. You know, when I was in high school, I'd read, like, um, X-Men and Spider-Man and stuff. But later on, in the mid-2000s, I started to read Captain America. And it was a run of comics which made me really love Captain America. And what I loved about him was that his, was his concern for justice, his concern for the little guy, always trying to do the right thing, even though it cost him so much. And so when they announced his movies, I got really excited. I was so happy, and more so because they got him right. I, in the movies, you see him just stand up to bullies, even before he becomes Captain America, all buffed out and massive, when he's tiny, skinny little boy, he still stands up to the bullies because he knows what's right. And there's a couple of quotes from the, um, from the Captain America movies which sums up this character. The first is when Captain America is speaking with Iron Man. And Captain America says, if I see a situation pointing south, I can't ignore it. Sometimes I wish I could. And then Iron Man replies, no. No, you don't. And then Captain America replies, no, I don't. You see, he acknowledges that he has such a sense of justice in him that when he sees something going wrong, he has to step in and intervene. He can't act any other way because that is his character. That's who he is. The second one comes from a friend which helps Captain America understand what he needs to do. And the quote is this. Compromise where you can. Where you can't, don't. Even if everyone is telling you that you are uh, you that something wrong is something right. Even if the whole world is telling you to move, it is your duty to plant yourself like a tree, look them in the eye, and say, no, you move. See, Captain America, in standing up for what's right, for doing what's right, would never move. And he would fight against the entire world, if need be, to do what is right. And so in the movie, even if you can sympathize with the opposing view, you still see Captain America and respect him for his stance, for his commitment to do what is right no matter what the cost. But we as Christians living in this world have a tendency to compromise. We have this tendency to forget what is important, to be distracted, to go off in what seems like a good way at first, but in the end seems like the wrong way. 
What's really cool, if you look in the previous chapter of Hebrews, chapter 11, it is known as what is, what is known as the Hall of Faith. It's a list of the heroes of the faith in the Old Testament, and it shows them what they, it shows us what they did. How they stood up for the faith in the face of opposition because they were standing for the truth and against the world which told them they were in the wrong. And oftentimes it led to their death. And they did that because they had a faith, they had faith in the promises of God. They had faith in the character of God and they had this connection with God. And because of that, they were willing to and able to stand up to the entire world. This is important to know because this chapter 12 begins with the word therefore. It's one of those words that you really need to pay attention to. Whenever you see the word therefore, you need to ask yourself what it's there for. I know it's very corny, but it's something you need to do. Because it's one of those words that, well, first of all, it's summing up the ideas that's come before, and it's giving you a conclusion which is important. It's something that you need to pay attention to. And so this is telling us what these heroes of the faith and living a life of faith has to do with us today. And the first thing to note is that these heroes are a great cloud of witnesses for us. They are testimonies to the truth of what we believe in. They are a witness to the kind of life we ought to be living. And it is by their example, by their testimony, that we gain strength for this life of following Christ. When you go through life, you go through ups and downs. Sometimes in the same day, you're like up and down, up and down. When you face opposition and hardship, what this passage is telling you is that you have a vast group of witnesses from which to draw strength from. You can see that these men and women have all faced all what you have and more and kept going. Don't convince yourself that you're alone in these promises and difficulties which is our habit, right? We have this habit that when we're in trouble, when we're going through tough times, we're like, no one understands. I'm all alone. You couldn't understand. I can't tell you because you can't. But in those moments, you need to remember that these men and women, what they thought of the promises of God, of what God has given us, and that they thought it was worth facing everything that life throws at us. It's so easy for us to only focus on the problem, to only focus on what we feel about the problem. And we forget why we live this life, where we are heading, what we are living for. That is kind of what was happening to Captain America. Before he heard the quote about telling, um, telling the whole world to move because he's standing in the truth, he was focusing on the people, the problem, trying to make it better but he went back to the ideals and things he was standing for and what he could not compromise on. When we face problems, we're like, woe is me, this is the biggest problem in the whole world. And I don't doubt that when you're in that problem, it is huge. That it's making your life difficult, it's affecting you personally and even physically, emotionally. But the thing is, is when the problem is in your face, 
that problem is the biggest problem ever. It's the hardest thing you've ever faced. How many of you guys faced your university entrance exams in Australia's HSE? For most people, it is the most difficult thing that a 17-year-old has ever faced in their life. It is like nothing could get more difficult. But in hindsight, once you're past it, you still acknowledge, oh, it was tough. But it wasn't bad as you thought it was then. And it, wasn't the, it definitely is not the most difficult thing you've ever faced. I'm saying that when you are in tough times, you lack proper perspective to understand or even properly categorize your problems. That's why you need this hall of heroes to be able to give you the perspective that you need. It's not easy to, and that's why you need to go back to it again and again and again. So when you're facing loneliness, when you're in an alien culture and situation, you can look to Daniel. You see a guy who would have been lonely, who faced the issues of trying to assimilate in an alien culture, to live in a culture which was trying to strip him of his cultural identity. When you're afraid of standing up for someone for the sake of Christ, you see David as a teenage boy who faced a man in armor with nothing but a sling and a stick. When you're rejected by people for the sake of the gospel, you look to Elijah. And you see someone who, one, most, one of the most greatest face-offs for God in history, but instead of being embraced like a winner, winner, he was rejected and had to go into hiding. When you're ridiculed for living a Christian life in a post-Christian world, you can turn to Noah, who for the sake of God and obeying him, built a boat on top of a mountain. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. He built a boat on top of a mountain. It's like, we're going to go fishing? What are you up to? Can you imagine the ridicule he would have faced for that, for the sake of obeying God? When you go through something that's not always something in the Bible, the Bible can give you perspective. You know, it's not always so obvious. You know, I'm struggling with drugs. Are there any Bibles? Like you do, a, you know, you open up your app now, like, and you search drugs. You're like, oh, there's nothing in, the Bible doesn't tell me anything, right? But you probably need to look at the reason why you take drugs and then turn to the Bible. So many people turn to drugs because they just cannot cope with life. Then you turn to people like Job, who, has in, who had his entire life stripped away in an, in an afternoon, but yet did not curse God or accuse him of doing anything wrong. And so there is a call here to read the Bible. And seeing it, not as some textbook, but about real people who lived in history. To think about their lives and what they were going through and what they were facing and how they were shaped by the promises and character of God. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be in the Garden of Gethsemane? It's dark and this mob with torches comes in and takes Jesus away. It's easy for us to read and be laughing at the disciples like, look at them, they're all running away. Or what's Peter doing? Pulling out his sword and you can't even stab someone properly. He like cuts off their ear. Like that's kind of stupid, right? It's like, yeah, it's like. 
man, if I was in that situation, I know I would have been wetting my pants, scared out of my mind. And when that first disciple runs, you've got to think about what happens when people run. When one person runs and another person runs and everyone runs and you join in and you're like, how did I get here? You know, have you seen those videos on, online where a person's walking down the street and then all of a sudden around the corner, 50 people come running and they don't know what's going on, but they join them and they run. They run hard. It's super easy to read the Bible and laugh at people and wonder, why are you reacting like that? Don't you know who Jesus is? But you need to meditate and consider what's going on. So when it comes to our rich Christian heritage, unfortunately, we have no idea. And that's just talking about the Bible. We know nothing about church history. But can you imagine any sphere of life where it would be acceptable to be attending a class for 10 to 20 years, learning about it each week, saying, this is my life, and then knowing as little as Christians do about the Bible? We're just happy and content with no thought of improving. And what this great cloud of witnesses really gives us is the courage and strength to do whatever is necessary to keep on going, to keep running the race of this life, to live in the way that God calls us to. And there are five points we can extract from this passage. We are to run unencumbered. We are to run along the track. We are to run looking at the goal. And we are to run willing to do whatever it takes. And so first of all, we are to run unencumbered. Everyone here has played sport, right? But we've always, you know, if you and your friends are like, oh, we're going to go play basketball. And you go and meet up. If you're, not, like, if you're not a group that's super into basketball, there's always one guy who turns up in jeans. And you're like, what the heck? How are you going to play basketball in jeans? Or like they might even be wearing like a jacket, a thick jacket. And you're like, we see the guy instinctively, we know he's not ready to play. Now, it's that same instinct that makes us impressed when you see someone, you know, they've gone through a bit of a losing streak and they're like, oh, that's it. And they take off their jacket and you're like, oh, something's going down. They're taking that jacket and you're like, oh, it looks like they're going to take it more seriously now. They're going to put more effort in because they're stripping down, they're becoming unencumbered to play this right. Have you considered how you run the Christian race? Are you running unencumbered? Or are you just running with all these things? You're trying to drag all these things along with you along the way. You know, you're trying to run this race and you're like, oh, Lord, I'm going to run all out for you, but I need this career. Lord, I'm going to run out all for you, but I need this ideal family. I need this home. I need these holidays. Lord, I'm going to run, but I'm going to drag this with me because I need it. But it's more than that too. We try and run and we're like, Lord, I'm going to run for you, but I need my pride. I need my lusts. I need my greed. All these things that the Bible tells us that we must put aside to take off, we think, I'll be all right. I can do it. I can be the exception. I can run serving money as my master, but I've got it under control. Even though the Bible says that you can't serve two masters, you can't serve God and money. 
we do this. We carry all this with us and we wonder, why aren't I making any kingdom impact? Why aren't people around me growing? Why aren't I growing? If you were to look at yourself truly, you know you're not running as seriously as you could, that you could do much better, that you could take off the jacket, or you might need to change your clothes entirely. You need to understand the context. Back then, they had Olympics. Like, this is around the Mediterranean. Do you know how Olympic runners ran? They ran naked. I know that's really weird to think about, and so don't think about it too much. But they ran naked. And so when it's saying, run unencumbered, take it all off, it's saying, take it all off. And we have to take it off. We need to get rid of it. The passage says that sin clings to us. You know, it's like those annoying bindies and like, you know, when you walk through the Australian grass, you're covering all this like sticky and spiky stuff. And it just, you can't just be like, and it falls off. You know, you go sit down and you be like, take every little one off. You know, you go do it intentionally. You see, sin, it tries to capture you. It tries to trap your soul. Sin doesn't disappear from your life by accident. You need to be intentional about it. You need to lay it down. I mean, the Christian life is hard enough as it is without putting all these ridiculous weights on us. Second, we need to run along the track. When you're running a race, there's a little point in not running the set course because you'll do one of two things. You'll either take a shortcut, in which case you're cheating and you'll be disqualified, or you, for some reason you'll run a longer route and be more tired and just waste your energy. Here in this passage, it says to run the race I said before us. And if you think about it, that's really reassuring. It's really reassuring to say that God is telling you, there's a race set before you, run it. He's not saying, make it up as you go along. He's not saying, you know, see the Blue Mountains? When I go to the Blue Mountains, and I look out at the vast array of trees, and I think about those first explorers and what they had to do to walk through, I'm like, dude, I would just saw it and be like, I'm going home, right? You know, even when you're walking down those stairs that they've got, like a billion stairs going down, you're thinking, I've got to climb back up this, right? Somebody cut that for you. They made that path. God is not saying, you need to make your own path. He's not saying, you need to figure out what to do. He's saying, here's a race set before, uh, track set before you, run it. And that's really reassuring when you're going through tough times too. When you're going through tough times, it means that there's a a rhyme and reason for it all. That there's no meaningless, purposeless evil happening in your life. There's nothing bad that's happening in your life that God will not use for good. I mean, God did it with the death of his son, the ultimate evil in the history of this world. He's going to do it with your life. 
And what is the track set before us? It's the race of holiness. It's that growing in holiness that we are supposed to be doing. It's a race about making godly decisions, even though it's costly for you. It's about bringing every thought captive before God, to be compelled by the love of Christ, to be sanctified, to be made holy. And that's not easy. We need endurance to keep going. But that's life. Holiness is what makes more. Holiness is the blueprint for your life. You see, God gave us these things so that you will flourish, so that you will excel and be who God made you to be. God doesn't give us random rules about like marriage and things like that just for fun. He does it because truly that is where people flourish best, where it's best for you. That is what holiness is. We do it because it is worth it. Third, we run looking at the goal. Number three is really important. It is what motivates in us us in our running. It's the prize we look towards. It's the reward we look forward to. You know, I know high school kids, I talked about the HSC before, so it was on my mind as I was writing this. But you know, high school kids, I know high school kids is like, oh, I just need to study hard and get this mark because mom promised that she'll send me to Korea. Right? But honestly, by the time the marks come out, you've either got your ticket or you don't. So it doesn't matter what result you get, but whatever. Right? But it's that result that you're aiming for and you're working hard for. You know, I do this to my kids all the time. Clean up and I'll give you a chocolate or ice cream or something. This is that, but so much more. The entire Christian life is lived looking towards Jesus, heading towards Jesus. He's described here as the founder and perfecter of our faith. He's the founder of our faith. And so it's only with Christ that we, become, we can become Christian. In fact, if there was no Jesus, there is no Christi- Christians. There is no Christianity. That's one of the remarkable things about Christianity. The message is a person. If Jesus doesn't exist, the message doesn't exist. If Jesus wasn't the person that the Bible says he was, then Christianity doesn't exist. You see, every other re- religion... You know, let's take Islam. Muhammad, though he's important, is not essential for the message. Allah could have came down and talked to another Joe Bloggs and said, here, here's the message for you to give. See, the messenger is incidental in every other religion. It's just someone who received the revelation and gave it. But in Christianity, the revelation is Jesus, the Son of God who came to this earth and died for us. You see, you are accepting him and his message. It's not about, you know, 10 things you do to be good enough for God. And so he is the founder of our faith. He is the one who starts us off on this race, this journey. But he's also the perfecter of our faith. We only continue in our Christian lives if we have Jesus. He starts our journey, but he continues our journey and he finishes our journey. You'll see it to perfection. 
He is the reason why we run unencumbered, why we throw off sin and things dragging us down, why we run along the track with endurance. It's because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, because Jesus is the Son of God, because he loved us so much, because he died for us. It says that he endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy set before him. What's that joy? What was set before Jesus as he was going to the cross? Well, what's the only thing he had? What's the only thing that Jesus has after the cross that he didn't have before the cross? It's you. You are the joy set before him. Is with partially, partially, it is because of you and me that he went to the cross. Now, I'm not going to say it's entirely because it is for the glory of God and God's, God is zealous for his glory first and foremost. But he also went to the cross because he wanted you. This God who is beyond all things, who is above all things, who is holy and perfect, this God who created this universe of tens of billions of galaxies, with each with tens of billions of stars, with many, many planets, we who live on this pale blue dot, and even in the scale of this earth, we're tiny. This God who is greater than all of this loves you. And he died for you. And it is this God, this Jesus, who is the goal. He is the one who motivates us to run this life, this race. This perfect being died to save you from sin, not so that you can continue in it. Can you imagine if someone died to free someone from slavery, but then they will go back to slavery, slavery, slavery willingly when they didn't have to? That would be absurd. And yet that's what we do. Jesus died to save you from sin, but yet we return to it again and again and again because we forget about Jesus, because we get distracted by the things of this world. Rather than look at Jesus, the perfecter and founder of our faith, the one who died for us, the one who returned to judge and make all things right. You see, it's only by looking at Jesus, only by just concentrating on him that we will not grow weary in life and grow faint-hearted. You know why people burn out and get tired? It's because you look at yourself and your own energy and your own effort. You're not going back to Jesus again and again just to drink and be filled. You neglect yourself. It's only by staying transfixed on Jesus that we can be sure we're on the right path, that we'll get there in the end. Because he is the one carrying us through, making sure we can take the next step, making another godly decision, because we have Jesus in front of us. You know, he is that poster you hang in your room to remind you that eating boiled chicken breast and brown rice is worth it. He is that future you imagine for your children, which makes all the work you put in for your children, all the sacrifice you make for your children worth it. You see, he is that picture of perfection that you put in front of you that motivates you and pushes you forward that next step, every step. You see what I mean? Jesus is the only one who motivates you into the Christian life and all the way through it. You see, all these other things, even like 
getting together on Sunday for worship and um, Christian brothers and sisters can help for a while. But if you don't have Jesus just fixed here in your mind, man, you'll get weary. Man, you'll get faint-hearted. And the thing is, as soon as you lose sight of Jesus, then some other goal takes a place. Something like self-righteousness, the desire to be better than anyone else. Or wanting to be part of an exciting church to be seen at the cutting edge. Or maybe you just get sidetracked, going to something else because, well, you need some goal, and it's not Jesus. You become like a sailor who stops following the North Star and just randomly chooses a star and follows that. Because you've lost sight of what's important. Jesus loved you even when you were his enemy. So much that he died for you to bring you into this relationship. And he'll see it to the very end. How can this not motivate you to continue running this race? And finally, we run doing whatever it takes. The passage here says that you've not struggled against sin to the point of shedding blood. The implication is there's always more that we can do in the struggle against sin. But we just don't do it. Or we pretend that we do and convince ourselves that we're doing a lot. But there's always more you can do. There's always something you can put off. There's always something you can resist. Don't just fold and say, oh, I'll do it next time. When you know you can't. When we fight against sin, we're actually so weak. I don't know if you've ever gone to the gym by yourself, but as soon as it gets uncomfortable, you're like, oh, oh this is tiring. Oh, I'll just, I'll give up on this set. You know, I'll do a set and a half and that's good enough. The writer here is saying, I think you can do more. I think there is more in the struggle against sin that you can do that you are not doing. He's that friend who says, no, finish this set. Actually, I think you could do a little bit more way. Push through it. Because only then will you grow. And so when it comes to fighting sin, let's face it, we wimp out all the time. Do you believe in Jesus enough, to trust him enough, so much so that when the world tells you that this is okay to give up here, you plant yourself like a tree and tell the rest of the world to move? If not, you need to notice Jesus more. But you also need to have brothers and sisters who will help you in this struggle as well. And quite honestly, if you're not part of a life group, you need to be part of one. You need to regularly meet up with brothers and sisters who will push you and prod you and make sure you are living this Christian life. But also so you can be there to push and prod them to live this Christian life. You, don't, you can't live this life solo. You all know that because you're here. You're a church because you know that you can't live this life solo. But it doesn't end with a couple of hours on church, uh, on Sunday. Seriously, Jesus is amazing. There's no one like Jesus. If you read the gospel, one of the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, try it sometime. Read it and just observe Jesus. See what he's like, what he does, how he interacts with people. And you'll be amazed at how wonderful this man is. 
And the more you know him, the more you see how much he loves you. And the more that motivates you to run this race. If you guys are here and you don't yet know Jesus, let me say this. There is no one who could love you more than Jesus does. No one who is more reliable, no one who more tender, no one more faithful than Jesus. And I would invite you guys to read the Bible. Just observe him. Take him in. Check out what he says about life and where you should be headed, where you should be headed, and think it through. Because quite honestly, if you look for motivation anywhere else, things like relationships, you'll find that it is not enough. You see, with relationships, you can be one of those guys who just invest your entire self into this relationship. Well, if that relationship breaks, that will destroy you. Or you could be one of those people who just avoids investing in, in order to avoid being hurt. Or you pull out first because you don't want to be the one who gets hurt. But the thing is, when, if your life is relationships, when you don't have, some, don't have one, you feel useless, meaningless. If your life is about career, then, you, then your performance is what will drive you. And that will totally imbalance your life. But when that career is over, or heaven forbid you lose that job, then life loses all meaning because you lose all meaning. And that will destroy you. You see, any other motivation just cannot last. It cannot stand, withstand the pressure you put on it as you make it your everything. And I'm sure you all realize this to a certain extent. You've lived life. You've been through tough times. And you know these things that are not enough. They're not something you can keep on leaning on. But Jesus, if you put yourself in his hands, he is sufficient to take your life and make it flourish beyond your dreams. That you would have life and have it to the full because it is in Christ. And so if you are interested, I talk to one of the guys at church. Have a conversation. If you want to start reading the Bible, ask somebody here and say, look, I want to read the Bible. Let's read the Bible together. But I urge you to make a step. Do something. If you're here and you're Christian, I need to ask you first, are you still looking to Jesus every day? Is he a part of every decision you make? Or do you need to lay aside these weights Are you running with so much baggage that you're not getting anywhere? You need to lay it aside. Maybe you just need some time to reflect, some time to pray and figure out what is in your life that is overtaking Jesus as being more important. Because sometimes you can make good things into ultimate things. Maybe it's family. You know, I, I see this a lot. And I see the temptation of it. You know, you have this pious stance. I have a family you know, now. They're my first ministry. But the thing about family is that it's not supposed to be your only ministry. Otherwise, God, why would God make churches? God would just say, be a church in your family. 
but he brings us together as many families so we can continue to minister to each other. But you've made family ultimate. And you've used it as an excuse not to serve God and the church. And so if you've spent the last year not doing much, I encourage you to look at those blue, blue sheets, blue sheets, and look at where you can serve your brothers and sisters. You know, you've got to figure out your time and how much you can do, but do something. Now, I didn't know about these other things that, that were going to be announced until I got here, but they're important. See, if you're motivated by Jesus, then you will seek to do more or do something. You see, don't make excuses not to follow God, not to serve your brothers and sisters. Then again, you might be on the other scale where you've made ministry that thing. You know, you're so busy doing ministry, so much so it's at the expense of a relationship with Jesus because you feel holy that you do so much for the church, that your relationship with Jesus is bone dry. That kind of relationship, that kind of ministry is empty and can't last long. Now, I'm not saying, therefore, put everything down and just concentrate on Jesus. What I'm saying is concentrate on Jesus and keep serving. Put all these things aside and run towards Jesus. And seriously, if you do that, you, you will serve your family so much better. You'll be able to do ministry so much better. You'll be able to do all these other things better that were your idols. And if it takes a fight to get rid of sin, then fight. If you need to call in reinforcements and help, then go to God in prayer and go to your brothers and sisters in Christ for help. We all need to fight sin together. We are all the more effective when we fight together. Knowing Christ, following Christ, moving towards Christ is worth any sacrifice. In the words of Paul the Apostle, in Philippians 3, 7 and 8. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. See, compared to everything else, well, compared to knowing Christ, everything else is just rubbish. Quite honestly, if you have Christ and you lost everything else, you would be still rich beyond your wildest dreams. Knowing Christ is the good life. The good life we should, we should be striving for. But we swap glass-shaped gems. No, it's like swapping glass-shaped gems for diamonds. It's the obvious choice. But so many of us choose to just play with the glass. For the sake of the prize, for the sake of Christ, we must put up our sin and run because the prize is worth it. Let me pray.